Please take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. It's one of the epistles of Paul in the New Testament. You might, by the way, be in prayer for Cheryl. She and I share everything over all these years. And she also shares my laryngitis this morning. So I tried not to kiss her. We're going to uh, read through the 12th verse of that first chapter of Galatians. It's very natural when you come to the end of a journey to think back about how it began. And so today it's fitting as I end my journey as your shepherd that the lectionary takes us to Paul's statement about why he began his journey. The similarities are striking And the lessons, I hope, will be universal for all of us as we are all on this journey of faith. We're going to build on the description that Paul gives to the churches of Galatia, which is Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey. People disagree about these kinds of things, but I think the evidence is strong that this letter of Galatians is one of the first letters that Paul wrote as a pastor. In fact, I wrote a research paper back 40-some years ago when I was in seminary presenting the evidence that Galatians was the very first of the epistles. And so since it's the first or the close to the first, Paul focuses on why he began his journey as a shepherd, as a pastor, who he is, by what authority he teaches, why he does his pastoral work, He also explains that it wasn't his choice to become a pastor. It was God's. And it's not his work. It's the Father's. So let's read the beginning of the beginning of the the letter of uh, of the uh, letter Paul to the Galatian church. So chapter 1, verse 1. The salutation. Paul, an apostle, sent neither by human commission nor from human authorities, but through Christ Jesus and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the members of God's family who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to set us free from the present evil age, According to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then skipping on down to verse 10. Am I now seeking human approval or God's approval? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still pleasing people, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel... That was proclaimed by me is not of human origin, for I did not receive it from a human source, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now keep that open before you and let's pray. Father, as we study these words that Paul gave about his own ministry, I would ask that you would allow me to express to these my people that I have loved so dearly these parting words. 
I would ask that you would allow them to hear deeply the truth that you have for them, individually and, of course, corporately, as we as a church family move forward. I would ask that your Holy Spirit would indwell each of us, not only when we're in sanctuary and we're breathing together, but when we're alone and we're breathing your Holy Spirit. I would ask that you'd be with these who shepherd. Allow them to shepherd as well. In Jesus' name, amen. I've had at least 10 people uh, say to me over these last few months that now on this last Sunday or these last Sundays, I can say whatever I want in my sermons. (laughs) I'm on my way out. Now, I haven't quite figured out what they mean by that. I don't know if people think I've been holding back. I, I haven't, I can assure you. Or perhaps I've had a lot of things that I want to say, but I haven't said them. I don't. Or even that people think that when a pastor preaches, he or she is speaking for themselves. But we aren't. We speak with all the integrity and intelligence and insight of which we are capable. But we speak for God. And if that isn't scary, I don't know what is. When I first started, I remember saying to my superintendent that what I feared most about the ministry was preaching. I love people. I love the church. I grew up in the church. I adore the Church of Jesus Christ. I love the shared life that it means. I love talking one-on-one. I love bringing the wisdom of God into people's lives at the unique moments that each of us face. But to preach, to preach is to get up every Sunday and prophesy on schedule. To prophesy, to speak for God into the lives of people for whom I have responsibility to shepherd. It's an overwhelming thought. Not only because I know, as the scriptures tell us, that those who teach are going to be held to a higher standard because of the example that we are as we live what we say, but also... I was scared because I just didn't want to mess anybody up, let alone do harm, by saying something that simply isn't true and will harm them. You see, I identify strongly with what Paul says when he says, am I now seeking human approval? Am I trying to please people? If I were still pleasing people, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that was proclaimed by me is not of human origin. For I did not receive it from a human source, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I will have to admit that seeking human approval is a powerful pull on any leader. 
pleasing people. Nothing's more alluring than that. But as Paul says, if I am after your praise, or if I am trying to please you, then I'm not a servant of Christ. I'm a servant of that impossible, elusive, illegitimate hope of telling people what they want to hear rather than speaking for God as a shepherd into the heart and lives of his people. So for me, this journey has been a fascinating one. For most of us as pastors, we are people people. We love people and we want people to like us. But in reality, that cannot be our first desire. We must first want God to like us. Back years ago, in the first few years, it was like the first one or two years of my ministry, we had a very, very nice person, a very saintly man of God, who for whatever reason, I very much wanted him to like what I said in my sermons. And I found myself writing a sermon so that he would say something about it in some kind of praise. It would impress him. Or or more specifically, he would be impressed by me. I wanted his praise. I can still remember the day when God impressed upon me that there might just be some things that he wanted to be said that that guy might not like. In fact, it might make him very uncomfortable. And having this man unhappy might be, in fact, God's desire for my sermon. And not only him, of course, but all of us. And it was at that moment that something shifted inside of my little pastoral heart. And it made me make a commitment that I would say, in so far as I am capable, what the Bible says without reference to who will like it. The result, of course, was exactly what you would expect. I've had many amazing conversations with people that were very upset with what was said. But for the most part, they knew I loved them and that God loved them and that it was true. And that they were upset because they needed to change. Either in thought or word or deed, something was wrong. And they needed to make a step. And they might try to, out of some kind of of protesting too much, as we talked a few weeks ago, try to put the focus on something else. But the Holy Spirit has this strong convicting power. And he moves within us in such a way that, that we can't get away from the truth of God. He brings it up in the most inopportune, from our perspective, moments. Now, I don't believe that everything God gave me over these years was a revelation from Jesus Christ. 
I am sure that far too much of my own thinking and far too much of human thinking was woven into what I preached. But I can honestly say that I've written sermon after sermon being open to the Holy Spirit to interpret what the Word of God is saying to you, His people. And I have tried in that experience to be open to the direct revelation from God. And I found that to be true week after week. Revelation, insight, things I didn't even realize was true. I came to understand and see from his word. And in all of those, as I thought and I wrote and I experienced it, I began to to recognize that the study of the word of God and the preaching of the word of God are this wonderful revelatory experience in which God says to me first, okay, you can't say that if you're not going to live it. You can't be some kind of hypocrite standing up there saying, you should do this if you're not willing to do it. And so for me, the revelation began as a, as a very deep and profound experience of being with God. And in that experience, to be transformed by God. He revealed to me week after week what was wrong and what was right within me. And he required me to live it. As we studied a a few weeks ago, the double inspiration of the Bible. It's not only that the writers were inspired by God when it was written, but we are inspired by God when we read it. I've experienced that that is not only true in our own individual Bible study, as the Holy Spirit helps us understand the Word of God as He wants it, but it's true in the congregation. In this sanctuary, as in every sanctuary of the churches of our world, the Holy Spirit is inspiring us together as we understand the truth of God, as it's taught to us by our shepherds. As you know, and I've told you many times, the word spire means to breathe. So to inspire means to breathe in. To conspire means to breathe the same breath. In many ways, we're not only sharing the oxygen of this sanctuary as we conspire together to change the world, but we share the word of God as we breathe together his world-transforming truths, and we become one in our breath and in our intent. But that brings us back to the first thing that Paul says, with which I also deeply identify. Paul explains that he came to this task of shepherd of the churches, not being sent by any other human or human organization, but rather by the resurrected one and the one who resurrected him. As many of you know, I did not live this pastoral life by choice. I was called by God. I fought against it. I even avoided God for several years in my life 
attempting to avoid that call upon me. Now, of course, 40 years later, I look back over my obedience and I recognize that I could have done nothing else. This is who I am. This is how he created me to be. I'm at home in this work. And for me, there's nothing more fulfilling. And even in midlife, I chose to continue to obey the call that God had placed upon me when I got my doctorate in ministry rather than the social psychology doctorate that was my human desire and my human aptitude. But I had someone say to me just a few years ago, something like this, wow, you have made a good life for yourself. And everything in me wanted to shout, I didn't make it. It was God's. It was his idea from beginning to end. I had not in my Oklahoma-centric existence even heard of Santa Barbara. And I had no intention of going anywhere but back home. But God put people in my life, most significantly Cheryl, but also my father, my professors, my superintendents, my good friends, who spoke not from some human institution, but for God, as he made it very clear to me. And he made a life and a wife and a family and a ministry and a church family that has the resurrection power of God at work. It is the most amazing thing you could ever be a part of. I not only was forgiven of deeply self-serving sins and restored to an amazing relationship with God, but I've been a part of week in and week out watching how God brings his resurrection power into the lives of people. People, I thought, from any human perspective, were hopelessly lost and had no intention of turning back to God. But they did. Marriages that I thought there's no possible way they could continue to live together. But they do, in deep, divine love. I've been a part of families in crisis, premature births, premature deaths. And through it all, I've seen God at work, sometimes with miracles, sometimes with comfort, always with love. So I understand when Paul says that his journey is not a journey to please humans, nor is it under the authority and power of human organizations or even the protective care of a denomination. Rather, I've experienced a grace that is undeserved and a peace that passes human understanding in real terms, in real life, in the ways we really exist. So I identify with Paul when he passes the peace to the people in his churches in Galatia. 
I know theologically that none of us deserve God's grace, that he gives it only out of love, and that's why we get it. But I know it personally that what God has allowed me to be a part of is only because God gives grace to me, just as he does to you. I neither deserve the life God has allowed me to live, nor do I have the ability to do the ministry that God has called me to do. It's all grace. It's all undeserved favor from God the Father to his beloved Son. And to have shalom, peace, arene, that positive Ionian, eternal life that God lives, that is not something this world can give to you or to me. It only comes from God. Yet I've lived it more days than not, an increasing measure over the decades of my life. That's not to say I haven't been traumatized by the devastation of this world. I can't go to our beautiful courthouse as people want to come as tourists and to visit it. I can't go there without a visceral physical reaction as my stomach responds to all the hours that I've sat there with our people. People who are in dire pain needing to hear a judge say words that they could keep their child or that there could be other solutions to the situations. And yet we hear judgments that, that cut like a knife deep into our, our hearts. I cannot go to the hospital, especially the old wings where my memories still reside, without holding my breath from the smells and the memories that reside within those walls and within my heart. I certainly cannot go to the cemeteries without tears welling up as I think of the many I've had to placed at rest beneath the memories of those markers. I can't even go out to sea without remembering those who left us far too young and whose ashes float within the currents of the ocean. But I also can't go to the beach without remembering the sunrise services and how more often than not, God cued the dolphins, as he did this year, to come and celebrate the resurrection. I remember the baptisms, the many, many baptisms, Doug. We moved it to a safer beach because we were losing people among the rocks. <clears throat> and then when we got there, we were told there were sharks. <laughs> But we baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They walk in the kingdom of God because of those, those commitments that are made. I remember all the weddings, amazing moments of intimacy and love. Recommitments as people both in my office and in sanctuary, communion ritual, where they made peace with God. 
after so many years of struggle with him, not recognizing the great love that was drawing him, them to him. I, of course, cannot walk the Wilcox property or the beach without going deeply into prayer. As I've communed with God throughout these years and just a great intimate walk with him. And of course, I can't enter the walls of this house without remembering the joy of the fellowship of God mingled through all the conversations and songs, testimonies, prayers, the depth of our worship and study and laughter, the tears we've shared, the joy that has been present. It's a part of my very soul. And I, I rejoice that I will get to be shepherded in this place. As I take my hand off the shepherd's staff and leave our family in the care of my favorite pastor, I look forward to the ongoing journey that God has for me and for all of us. So I'm going to ask that Colleen come forward and share with me this shepherd's staff for one last time. You will remember a few months ago, I invited Colleen to share the staff, and she has. Let's turn it this way. There you go. <laughs> and she has with such uh, ability that it has truly astounded me. I, of course, am a superintendent, so I, I walk with lots of pastors, and I see their their decisions and their, their gifting. And uh, Colleen, of course, I take full credit for mentoring her. <laughs> As to Cheryl. Yeah, about that later. <laughs> but Colleen, as I release this staff, I am very pleased that you're going to be the one that will take over my life's work that God has called me to do and that I get to be a part of your life's work. It's my honor to pray for these, these two, my friends and my partners. Lord God, you are a wonderful, amazing, merciful, grace-filled, all-wise, all-knowing, all-loving God. Who could imagine that... I was hugging Denny this morning that he would have been here for 40 years in the same place that he and Cheryl and the boys would have grown up in this place and that that I would work with him for 32 of those years and that Colleen would come in right behind us and be such a long team together. Lord, we are we are we're so grateful for that and we pray, Lord, now that as this transition happens that as Denny has uh reminded us that it is, it is to you that we 
come. That is to you. We follow you, Lord. This is your church. This is your ministry. We are your children. And Denny is your child, and he has walked with you, and he will continue to walk with you. And he has finished well in this setting as our shepherd, but he is not done with ministry. None of us are. And Lord, we pray that as he and Cheryl make this transition into retirement and rest, that they would continue to feel your call upon their life. And we know that you're going to bring them hundreds, if not thousands more people in their lifetime still that they will care for. So be with them in this time. And Lord, as Colleen now holds this staff, may she feel your great blessing and feel the uh, the inspiration that you provide and the wisdom that you provide and the uh, and in all the ways that she will need to be faithful now to your call as a shepherd and that she will point to you. May she know that you never leave her side and that we are together as a church. That this is not just around one person or two. It's, a, it's all of us, that you've brought all of us together and that worldwide we're a part of the huge body of believers that love you and want to faithfully serve you. So as we serve you in this little corner of the world, we give you praise, Lord, for this this time of, of moving forward. And we know that you will lead and guide us. And in you, we can find our peace and our hope. I pray your blessing upon Denny and upon Colleen and Cheryl and Mark. Thank you, Lord, for them. We bless them now in your name. Amen.